Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Accessible Intellect, the podcast where I talk about things that I find interesting in a way that will hopefully be of some value to you. A few weeks ago, I did an episode called What Most People Get Wrong About Exercise, and when I was preparing for that episode, I had a lot of ideas to talk about, too many to fit into a single episode. So I split all of the ideas I had into two groups, the first of which I discussed in that episode from a few weeks ago, and the second group I'm going to be discussing today. The first group of ideas I talked about were very well received by you all, so I knew that it would be a good idea to actually execute on making the second episode, so here we are. There's no reason why you'd need to listen to that one before this one, so you're fine to start here if you didn't happen to listen to that earlier one, though I would of course recommend that you check it out after listening to this episode if you like it, because I do think that there are a lot of valuable ideas there. Like always, this episode is for everybody. I don't assume that you have any specialized knowledge on exercise or anything else. So if you know what exercise is, then you know everything you need to know for this episode. I think this is going to be a really good one. So without further ado, let's get into it. The first thing that I think most people get wrong about exercise is they assume that being disciplined is harder than not being disciplined. I actually think that the opposite is true. I think it's actually easier to be disciplined than not to be disciplined. I think it's important to note here that being disciplined is very goal specific and therefore will look different for every single person. Being disciplined doesn't mean going to the gym five times a week if that's not your goal. To me, discipline is more about consistently showing up for yourself in the way that you want to, more than it's about doing a really long list of really hard things all the time. So if your goal is to walk three times a week and you walk three times a week, then that's perfect discipline. I think this tangent is important because the word discipline sort of goes hand in hand with the self-help space these days. And that self-help space likes to tell its audiences that it needs to do this and that and a million other things. But again, discipline really just means being committed to yourself and your goals, whatever those things are for you. So now back to why I think it's actually easier to have discipline than it is to not have it. The truth is there are going to be challenges either way, whether you have discipline or not. And yes, this conversation can be extended outside of the realm of exercise, but I'll have my examples today be exercise specific since that's what we're primarily discussing today. Let's say your goal is to go to the gym every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in the morning before work. Being disciplined in this case, of course, means that you get up early every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to go to the gym, without exception, unless of course there is good reason. Sure, this is a hard thing to do. It's hard to get out of your warm bed early in the morning, to get into a cold car and drive to a workout. But I'd argue that overall, it's actually harder to stay in bed. It's of course easier to stay in bed for that extra hour or so that you'd be sleeping instead of driving or exercising. But what about the rest of the day? When you do end up getting out of bed, a part of you knows that you should be at the gym right now, but you're not because you didn't show up for yourself. And this has nothing to do with body image or weight loss or anything like that. I could replace the act of going to the gym with anything here. The important thing is that you committed to doing a thing and you ended up letting yourself down by choosing to not do that thing when the time came to do it. And the fact that you didn't show up for yourself in the way that you would want it to lingers for the rest of the day. And that is what I think is difficult. To me, that is much more difficult than pulling yourself out of bed and getting into the cold car. And so if this happens to be your goal or similar to your goal, the next time your alarm goes off and you want to sleep in, remind yourself that getting up is actually the easier thing to do versus staying in bed. This point is even more true on an extended timeline. Sticking with the gym theme, let's say you want to get stronger, and so you set a goal that you'll go to the gym three times a week for the next eight weeks. 
Getting to the end of those eight weeks having completed that goal is a difficult thing to achieve. Like I've been saying, it can be hard to get yourself to the gym and through a workout that many times. But getting to the end of those eight weeks having not completed that goal, I think that's a much more difficult thing to deal with because you know that you didn't show up for yourself in the way that you would want it to. To me, the feelings of disappointment in myself that come from when I'm not disciplined are much more powerful than the difficulty of overcoming the resistance to the task or goal that I set out to achieve. Along the same vein, a quote that I really like and will sometimes repeat to myself when I need to hear it is, the pain of progress will always hurt less than the pain of stagnancy. In situations that require discipline, I think the common image is that there's a hard path, the path of discipline, and an easy path, the path of laziness, for lack of a better term. And you should take the hard path because it's better in the end. But I think that a more accurate summary is that there's a hard path, again, the path of discipline, and a harder path, the path of laziness. And that you should take the hard path because, again, it's better in the end. As literal paths, I think the path of discipline would be really steep in the beginning, but then flattens out from there on, while the path of laziness is the opposite. Easy and flat in the beginning, but then consistently steep for the rest. The path of discipline looks like it's the more difficult trail, but overall, it's actually the easier one. I think discipline is really all about momentum. I imagine it as trying to push an enormous round boulder down a road. It's hard to get started. You might even need to recruit some help from those around you. But once it's going, it doesn't take that much effort to keep it moving down the road. Starting any sort of new routine or incorporating a new habit is going to be difficult in the beginning, even if it's not that difficult of a task, just because it's not what we're accustomed to. The boulder has been placed in front of us at a standstill, and we're asked to move it. But if we can get ourselves through the first few days or weeks, as uncomfortable or as unnatural as it might feel, it will get easier. The same way that once we exert the effort to get the boulder moving, keeping it moving isn't that hard. The 10th week of a new exercise or movement routine is going to be much easier than the first week. Another reason why I think it's actually easier to be disciplined than to not be disciplined is because it takes the need to decide out of the equation. If you're really disciplined about going to the gym before work on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, then come Monday, Wednesday, or Friday morning, when your alarm goes off, you know that you're going to the gym. You don't have to convince yourself to get up to go, you just know that you're going. Similar to how you just know you have to go to work or school on a given day, you might really not want to go, but you don't seriously consider every morning if you should go or not. It's Monday, so you're going to work. It's Monday, so you're going to school. It's Monday, so you're going to the gym. When the decision is taken out of it, the task itself doesn't actually become any easier. We know that because sometimes going to work or school is truly so difficult. But what taking the decision out of it does do is it increases our success rate of actually achieving the task. Even though we don't always want to go to school or work, we have a pretty high success rate of actually getting there. Discipline allows us to automate the right decision for us. On the other hand, if we are inconsistent, every win that we do achieve is much harder earned because we have to win the battle of deciding to pursue it on top of the act of actually pursuing it. And winning the battle of deciding to pursue it is usually the, actually the harder part. I again want to emphasize the fact that the gym is just an example here. I know not everybody likes going to the gym, and I don't want to come across like the gym is something you have to do in any way, because that is simply untrue. The importance of discipline applies to any movement routine to some extent. So, to conclude, the first thing that people get wrong about exercise and exercise routines is they think that being disciplined is the harder thing, when in reality, it's actually easier to be disciplined than it is to not be disciplined. The next thing I want to talk about that I think a lot of people get wrong about exercise is they overestimate the importance of a lot of things, which causes them to be overwhelmed to the point where they don't really move forward at all. 
And to be honest, if this is you, it's not your fault. The fitness and wellness industries overwhelm you on purpose to make you buy their programs and products or really whatever it is they're selling out of fear. This reminds me a lot of the 80-20 rule, which states that 80% of the outcomes come from 20% of the causes. This is generally true in a lot of different scenarios. For example, the rule was invented or really discovered by an Italian economist in the 1890s when he noticed that 80% of the land in England was owned by just 20% of the population. In other words, the vast majority of the land was owned by a small minority of the people. The land wasn't equally distributed. Applying this principle to exercise, or more generally health, might look something like this. 80% of your health outcomes will come from 20% of your actions. So again, this would mean that the vast majority of your health can be determined by a small percentage of your actions. That there is a small handful of actions that you can do that can strongly predict how healthy or unhealthy you are. Let's call these the superpowered actions, and think of some examples. I think smoking is a pretty obvious one. The health outcomes for someone who smokes versus someone who doesn't smoke will on average be considerably large, even if all other things are equal. Whether or not you are a smoker will have a fairly large impact on if your health needle, so to speak, moves in the direction of healthy or unhealthy. Some other examples of superpowered actions are being hydrated, regularly moving your body, getting sufficient sleep, and eating lots of vegetables. Hopefully none of these things are controversial. This isn't an exhaustive list, of course, but there aren't a ton more superpowered actions. There are hundreds, if not thousands of things that you can do that may help or hurt your health, but they won't individually move the needle nearly as much as the superpowered actions would. The interesting thing about these superpowered actions, which remember are the 20% of things that you can do that will correspond to 80% of your health outcomes, is that for the most part, they're cheap and accessible, especially when compared to the other health-related actions that have less impact. Let's think of some of these less impactful actions now, the actions that aren't superpowered. I think it's important to note that just because I'm saying that these things are less impactful, that doesn't mean that they aren't important or are fake science or anything like that. All I mean is that while they may move the needle, it most likely won't be an enormous change in either direction. Earlier, when I said regularly moving your body is a superpowered action, I kept that vague on purpose because to me, the specifics of that movement would fall into the less impactful section. Whether you move by walking or doing CrossFit or skateboarding or yard work or volunteering, I'd argue that the differences between the people that do those activities is a much smaller difference than the difference between people who move in some way versus the people who live largely sedentary lives. In other words, the health jump that you'd make by switching from a sedentary lifestyle to an active one, whatever that might look like, will be a much larger jump than the jump that you might get from jumping between specific physical activities. The point I'm trying to make here is that it doesn't actually matter all that much what you do as long as you do something. The problem is that this idea of all movement is good doesn't really work that well for the sorts of companies that are exercise related. It makes much more sense for ASICs and Saucony to push you should run instead of running is good for you, but it's not the end all be all. Similarly, it makes more sense for Gymshark to say you should go to the gym instead of lifting weights is great, but you don't have to do it. And of course, the same idea is true for the yoga companies, the climbing companies, the cycling companies, really all of them. The list goes on. Sometimes it can feel like, at least to me, like it's hard to know who to listen to because everyone is saying something different. The great thing is that since at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you choose, the only person you need to listen to is yourself, as cliche as that sounds. 
choose the path that is exciting to you because at the end of the day, the best movement routine is the one that you'll actually do. Recall that I said the superpowered actions are those 20% of actions that determine 80% of your health outcomes. This implies that the other 80% of your actions, the vast majority of them, only determine 20% of your health outcomes. I think things like supplements and what shoes you wear and the brand of sunscreen you use and, and choosing to wear a fitness tracker all fall under the less impactful majority. Notice that these are the sorts of things that you get sold every day through advertisements. Again, I'm not saying that these choices are unimportant, but I do think that we overestimate how much they matter because of how often we're told that they're important through their advertisers. And again, these industries will overstate the importance of their products to make you afraid and therefore buy. But in reality, all these companies are fighting over is such a small amount of your health. I doubt any individual product will move the needle more than 5%, and even that is being generous. And that's especially small when we compare it to the impact of the superpowered actions. To me, the main takeaway here is not to let yourself get too caught up in the nitty gritty of exercise and health, because it's really easy to do. It's really easy to think that you need to get every single little thing right. But in reality, there's a small handful of things which, if you give them their proper attention, you'll be just fine. Remember, nobody can sell you things like getting eight hours of sleep at night, or drinking enough water, or simply moving your body in some way. So the message of their importance isn't going to be shoved down your throat the way green drinks, special workout classes, and step trackers are. While there's absolutely nothing wrong with these products, and in fact I think that a lot of them are awesome, where we go wrong is when we try to optimize those things, which remember only will contribute up to 20% of your being healthy, before we optimize the superpowered actions, which are actually cheaper and more accessible and make up 80% of the outcomes. To me, focusing on those smaller differences first is sort of like if you were having a friend visit and you were trying to get your house ready for them and you organized the bookshelves before you vacuumed or just generally cleaned the house. Sure, organizing the shelves is a nice thing to do, and that will make some sort of a difference in how clean your house looks, but at the end of the day, vacuuming and wiping down the counters is going to make a much bigger difference, and you should do those things first before you go and do that extra organizing. So to conclude, I recommend that you take a step back and evaluate the things that you are focusing your time, energy, and money towards when it comes to exercise and wellness. There's a good chance that you're overspending in areas that don't actually have that much impact on your health. I still have a couple more ideas on exercise to talk about, but I'm going to save them for future episodes. It's probably pretty clear that exercise is something that I feel very passionate about, and I have a lot to say about it. The title of this podcast, as you know, is Accessible Intellect, because I want to share ideas in a way that is accessible to everybody, no matter what your background is with the topics. Exercise is something that I believe should be accessible to everybody, but unfortunately, I feel like our culture around exercise makes it out to be intimidating and only for certain groups of people. I hope that this episode could serve as a reminder to somebody that exercise is just about moving your body. It's not about getting big or getting small or getting fast or strong. It's about moving your body. Our ability to move is such an enormous blessing, and it makes me sad that it kind of takes a backseat in conversations around exercise when compared to things like aesthetics and performance. If you like this episode, I again recommend that you check out the episode from a few weeks ago about exercise if you haven't already. The takes I have in that one are different, but I of course see exercise through a similar lens as I do in this one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of Accessible Intellect. If you liked it, I recommend that you check out my earlier episodes and subscribe so you never miss a new one. You can also leave up to a five-star review, which would help me out a lot. 
What would mean the most to me is if you shared the podcast with a friend. That, more than anything, helps me grow. A lot of work goes into making this podcast, and I want to make sure that it reaches as many people as possible. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like me to discuss, I'd love to hear about it. You can put that or any feedback in the Q&A section, which you can find at the bottom of the episode on Spotify. I truly love reading what you have to say. Your feedback and sharing makes a bigger difference than you realize. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye, everybody.